I've entitled this, this sermon, uh, The Death and Burial of the Servant King. And so let's read God's word together this morning. Matthew 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified them, him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. 
There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the other Mary, were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that impostor said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The word of the Lord for us today. Um, Thank you, Father. Let's pray. Father, as we, um, through your word uh, and with the help of your spirit, transport ourselves from the 21st century back 2,000 years ago to that hill, a place of a skull, um, to see these events through your word. We, we pray that you would help us, uh, that you would speak to our hearts, and that you would guide us by your spirit um, to hear your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are, Matthew 27, uh, the climax of Matthew's gospel Um, really the climax of all history, the Old Testament. Since Genesis 3, uh, in the Garden of Eden, um, there was a prophecy there in 3.15 that that someone um, would come, that he would bruise his heel and another would come and crush his head, Um, the serpent crusher, the heel bruiser. Um, Here we are at the cross, and um, that one is Satan. Satan is crushing Jesus on Uh, or bruising Jesus on the cross, but Jesus will crush his head through the cross as well. And so here we see in Matthew 27 that Jesus is mocked, crucified, he's dead, he's buried, um, and he's in the tomb. And it's it's quite fascinating, these these phrases that are used um, and uh, that, that are um, ingrained into our, our memory as we've heard this passage before. Like that of, of Pilate, he says, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Um, the centurion, truly, this was the Son of God. Uh, what, we, what, we've, what, what I've seen in these last two chapters, really, is, is the King in contrast to his creatures. Uh, We've seen Jesus in contrast to his disciples on the night he was betrayed, the night he was denied. Um, We see Jesus here in this passage in contrast to uh, 
those who would mock him as his torturers, verses 27 to 31. We see here that he was spit on, he was struck, he was stripped, and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. We also see another man called Simon. Uh, he was a North African, probably a Jewish uh, believer. Um, uh, or a Jew that was in Jerusalem for the feast of the, of the Passover. So here's Simon, and he was compelled to carry the cross of Jesus, uh, this heavy wooden beam. Jesus had been um, uh, tortured, beaten, um, and he was in a, this uh, tremendously weakened state, and it was difficult for him to carry this horizontal beam. And most likely, um, uh, we know from history that the vertical beam would have already been in place, but Jesus had to walk that Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, a road to Calvary. There he was offered a drink of wine, but he wouldn't drink. And this was in accordance with Scripture in Psalm 69, 21. Um, his garments were divided, and this, too, was in accordance with Scripture, Psalm 22, um, verses 8 and verse 18. And really, um, what's kind of striking to me, uh, Matthew wants to show us that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And these events are tied deeply to um, messianic promises. And so I just want to really quickly look at some of these verses in Psalm 22. Uh, Psalm 22, verse 8. It says, He trusts in God. Let him deride him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Uh, this verse, verse 8 of Psalm 22, was used as a verse of mockery. Um, the chief priests, the elders, they mocked him, verse 42 of Matthew 27. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Um, verse 43, he trusts in God. Let, let God deliver him now if he desires him. Referring to Psalm 22. And something powerful about the New Testament writers, Matthew, um, and the other apostles, is when a verse is referenced, it's almost like a hyperlink. You can click on that and go back to the passage and see more of the context for which that uh, passage um, and that verse is mentioned. Psalm 22, verse 18, uh, says this, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This moment in history was prophesied um, in the scriptures. David was the original author. Um, God, the Holy Spirit, through David, was the original author of Psalm 22. David is expressing his sufferings uh, in a metaphorical sense, um, a very emotional sense, but much of this passage was fulfilled in a literal sense or a heightened sense in Jesus on the cross. And we see that, um, uh, namely, in the, the first verse of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoted in verse 46 of this passage. And so there were those who were passing by, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, deriding him, mocking him, saying, Save yourself if you are the Son of God. Um, they said things like, He cannot save himself. 
they quoted Jesus' own words um, in a very uh, literal sense, but they said the temple, he who said uh, that the temple would be destroyed um, and rebuilt in three days. We know from uh, John's Gospel in chapter 2 that Jesus was referring to his body. His body would be destroyed um, and in three days would be rebuilt or rise again. And, and, and they said, for he said, I am the Son of God. The irony of these uh, mockers is that um, Jesus will save others from their sin by not saving himself from the cross. And Jesus showed himself to be the Son of God um, by the fact that, that, that he would not save himself from the cross. He was fulfilling his mission. So there's such irony here. We see that because he was the Son of God, he would not save himself as they mocked him and taunted him. We see that um, all these people here, the mockers, Simon of Cyrene, um, the centurion, the women standing at a distance, are all acting according to their true natures, says one commentator. And so this scene is deeply revealing. Um, the cross is deeply penetrating. And Jesus here embodies a posture of forgiveness. So what is happening on the cross? Uh, this, this moment uh, is, is so, so deep and so rich um, that the rest of the, the New Testament would reflect on this, the death and resurrection of Christ. And so the Old Testament is looking forward to the cross um, in preparing us for the cross of Christ. And then uh, the New Testament writers in, into today, we are living in the year of our Lord. And so we're reflecting on the cross and its application, its implications. But what Matthew does for us is he is a tremendous historian along with the other gospel writers. But Matthew is more than just a historian. He is an evangelist. He wants to share the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is the king who came to save us, uh, sinful men and women. And so um, <clears throat> Matthew is pointing to one of uh, the strongest arguments he has is that Jesus fulfills prophecy, and we've seen that throughout his gospel. And so another uh, tremendously messianic prophecy is Isaiah 53, and we see there that many of these prophecies in this chapter are fulfilled on the cross in Jesus. So for example, Isaiah 53 verse 12, it says, I, I am he who comforts you. I'm sorry, verse, verse 12. Um, <clears throat> Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He was numbered, he was numbered with the transgressors. On his right was a man who was a robber. On his left was another man who too was, was a robber and Jesus was in the middle. Now if we reflect and we remember there was another man who was probably and, and this is a bit of speculation, we don't know for sure, 
But that middle spot was probably intended for Barabbas. Um, and Jesus dies in his place, numbered with the transgressors. And then it says from noon, um, and in the way that they numbered time, that would have been the sixth hour because um, the first hour belong, begins at 6 a.m. And so at, from noon till 3 p.m., darkness uh, covered the land and the earth quaked at his death. And so we see here this cosmic uh, uh, movement at the death of the Son of God. Uh, the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, you recall that the star um, guided the Magi from afar. Um, and there's this, it's like heaven and earth is watching the coming of the Son of God. Heaven and earth is watching uh, the death of the Son of God. And Peter in his Gospel says these are the types of things, the proclamation, the, the sharing of the Gospel is the things that angels long to look into. This is just mind-boggling, even to the angels. This event that Jesus, the maker, the creator, and, and, and Paul, um, he unfolds and unpacks for us the nature of Christ, who he really is, that the fullness of God in bodily form dwells in him. And here he is on a cross. Um, the Old Testament um, made this nearly impossible for the Jews to process. Uh, Deuteronomy, God says, everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Paul would bring this point uh, to the forefront in his letter to the Galatians. Um, and so what is happening here? Darkness. Darkness was a symbol of judgment throughout the Old Testament. Um, God's holy wrath is being poured out in this moment. Uh, over sin, um, but this is being done in Jesus on, on the cross. Uh, the apostles use a word, a, a theological term called propitiation. It's God satisfying his righteous wrath um, towards sin, and it's being poured out on a substitute, on a sacrifice, and that's what's happening in Jesus on the cross. Now, the pass those who are passing by um, they were close enough, enough to, for Jesus to hear their words, um, and they would mock him, and they would say, you know, all kind, they derided him, but then there was this expectation that maybe he's calling out for Elijah, and we know the Old Testament ends with prophecies about Elijah, that he will come before the Messiah comes, but we've seen through Matthew's Gospel that, and Jesus explicitly teaches that, that the Elijah that is to come is John the Baptist, and he's already come. Um, but the people didn't know that. And they said, wait, wait, wait. Let's see if Elijah comes and rescues him from the cross and vindicates him as the Son of God. So there's this controversy about who, who is he really? And all of these characters begin to emerge, and they have faces, and they have lives, and families, and, and they have words that are here embedded in the eternal scriptures. And, and they're waiting to see, is Jesus really, is he the Son of God? Um, and the others are irate, filled with hatred. He said he's the Son of God. If he was, man, show it. Show it in this moment. And the irony is, he is showing it in this moment. Uh, many artists throughout history have painted this scene. Um, and I've, I, 
I don't have one in particular in my mind, but they said when, when, when the artist tried to paint this, they painted Jesus nailed to the cross and his body is, is sinking down in the shape of a V, a V for victory. And he is conquering evil. He's conquering death. He's conquering all of these, these horrible evil deeds and bitter thoughts toward him through his death on the cross. He's taking the pain. And then we see the curtain, the curtain torn in two. We see the earth quake. Um, and this was a thick curtain, as, as you probably know. The bodies of the saints raised, resurrection appearances. What is going on? This is no ordinary uh, funeral. This is no ordinary execution. This is a divine moment. Uh, uh, meeting uh, earth, earth in history. And the centurion says something that's quite striking. He says, truly, this was the Son of God, or this was a Son of God. In Luke's gospel, it, it shows him saying it uh, with, with less of a uh, potency. It's, it's morally like, it, I think it's translated, truly, this was a righteous man. And so what's happening here is people are watching Jesus in his nature. Um, no matter how, how hard he is pressed, no matter how hard he is tempted, he does not retaliate or revile in return. He's silent as he goes to his death. Now Jesus speaks seven times from the cross, but Matthew only records one of them. And we need Mark and Luke and John to get all seven of those sayings. But the one Matthew focuses on is that of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's the question for us. Why? Why is Jesus going to the cross? He's going to save us. The women uh, watch from a distance, uh, verse 55, 56. There are many Marys uh, in the Gospels, many Marys in the cross. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, um, who many commentators think was, was the Mary um, here, the mother of James and Joseph, Jesus' half-brothers. Uh, there's another, uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, um, that some, some com commentators think were Jesus' cousins, um, Mary's sister. And, Another gospel shows us Mary, the wife of uh, Clopas. So lots of women who had served and been close to Jesus through his earthly ministry watch from a distance. Where are the disciples? They have fled. Um, they are scared. They, one has denied him. Another has destroyed himself through suicide. But there is another disciple. There's a secret disciple. And in John's gospel, we see that Nicodemus is a secret disciple as well along with Joseph of Arimathea. And so Joseph comes, a rich disciple, with a tomb of his own, and he goes with boldness and courage to Pilate and says, may I take the body and bury it? Now, Pilate, as we've seen, is under so much political and social pressure, um, and he is probably just had enough, like, leave me alone about this man. I've tried to wash my hands of it. And they say, change the sign. No, 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 don't let the charge say above his head in three languages that people any, of any language would understand. It says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. They said, no, 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 change it to, he said. 
that his, this is Jesus. He said he was the king of the Jews. And he said, what I have written, I have written. He truly washed his hands of the matter. But Joseph comes, uh, a secret disciple, and he asks for the body. And the chief priests, the religious leaders, would have been happy because a body, uh, about, about taking the body off the cross, because a body on the cross would have defiled the land if it was there on uh, the Sabbath. And so they take the body down, and he buries Jesus in a rich man's tomb, which, again, is a fulfillment of Scripture, Isaiah 53, 9. Um, and so, wow, um, a few applications for us. Um, mostly this, this event, um, praise God, we have it recorded for us, and we can reflect deeply on it. Uh, we can read the letters of the New Testament, Philippians, uh, especially chapter 2, what's happening on the cross. Jesus is humbling himself, and he will be exalted, but humiliation precedes exaltation in Christianity, in the Christian life. Um, we also see that, um, that Jesus has accomplished our salvation. Um, it's, we, we don't have a religion of doing good works or following rules because James, as James points out in his letter, uh, if we try to live according to the law, we'd have to keep all of the law. If we just mess up in one point, we've broken it all. And so uh, what do we see here in the, in the, in the death and burial of Jesus? Um, here's a, a, a reflection for us. What was it about the death of Jesus that produced such contrasting effects on all of these eye, eyewitnesses? How is it that the cross has the power to transform those who gaze intently at the man hanging there? So some look at the cross um, maybe in a surface way, uh, like Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the cross is foolishness to those perishing. But those who look with a deep gaze who, who long intently and, and behold the man dying on the cross, um, it's a transforming act. And this act of Jesus is his work, his great work that accomplished our salvation. So be, Jesus' body, torn like a, um, like a curtain, the, the, the Hebrew the letter to the Hebrews would say, it propitiates the wrath of God. Um, secondly, um, or rather, satisfies God's righteous anger towards sin. It upholds justice, if you will, to put it simply. Um, Jesus' death is also a tremendous expression of the love of Jesus and the love of God for sinful man. He opens access to God's presence through the death of Jesus on the cross. Um, and so we see justice and love coming together, mercy coming together at the cross. And thirdly, um, the cross, the death of Jesus, guarantees the resurrection of all the saints. And we see this strange, um, uh, surprising uh, resurrection of many, many people here among the city. So the death of Jesus had a transforming effect upon some who looked and pondered more deeply. And so I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, um, in your Christian walk to look and ponder the death, of, and, and the death and resurrection of Jesus more deeply. And I think that's a journey we're on for the rest of our lives and into eternity. 
even in uh, the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus is seen as the lion of the, of the tribe of Judah, but he's also the lamb who was slain. He will always be the lamb. He will always be the lamb. The Roman soldiers, the centurion and those around him, um, looked and pondered more deeply and said, truly this was the Son of God. We also saw, uh, we see a bold and courageous disciple. We see these actions of Joseph of Arimathea going to Pilate in contrast to the 12 disciples that fled. And finally, this is probably the most surprising of all. None of the disciples, none of the people here, no one entertained hopes of resurrection. When Jesus said, it is finished, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, um, none of them believed the resurrection was coming. Doubt is overwhelmingly filled, filled uh, at this point in, in the gospel narratives. But one thing that is so ironic is Jesus' enemies, his earthly enemies, or sat satanic enemies through, through um, earthly creatures, the chief priests, they say, watch out. He said a resurrection is coming. He's an imposter. He's going to create some type of fraud. And so they don't forget his claims of resurrection, even though um, his, his beloved disciples, filled with grief, uh, grief that probably um, makes it difficult for them to remember that he said he would rise. Um, and so the, the, the chief priests remember his resurrection. And so um, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus all encompass the gospel. And next week we'll look what happens on the third day. Um, and so let's close in prayer and we'll um, also sing a song of uh, to, in response. Uh, Father, thank you for the death of Jesus on the cross um, and all that it means to us. We pray that you'd help us to be like the centurion, um, to gaze and reflect deeply and intently at what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Uh, we thank you that you give us understanding and help by your spirit through your word in the New Testament especially. And we pray that you would also give us courage and boldness like Joseph of Arimathea. Um, help us to live um, near the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.